0: Hey, Stephanie Gotts, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch. And uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend.
1: Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about guardian vets a lot on the podcast and every time we do we always get somebody who says what is that
0: (laughs) guys if you're not familiar with guardian vets if you think that you could use some help on the uh on the phones or up at the front desk check them out it's guardianvets.com and uh if you mention our podcast me and stephanie goss uh you get a month free so check it out
1: guardianvets.com hey everybody i am stephanie goss and this is another episode of the uncharted podcast This week on the podcast, Andy and I are tackling a letter from a mailbag who comes from a veterinarian who is very frustrated with some naughty client behavior. And most importantly, and the crux of this episode is that they are frustrated with feeling like they are not getting backed up by the management in their hospital to address naughty client behavior. It feels like to them and the team that often occurrences of bad behavior are going unpunished or without accountability. And they are wondering, hey... How should I, as a doctor, expect my hospital management to deal with situations like this? And we've got a great example in the episode. They're wondering, is it it wildly unacceptable to expect that a client be called to discuss behaviors like this? At what point do we hold them accountable? How should they be held accountable? All of this coming from a doctor who's being made to feel like these problems are trivial. And that is not the case. It is not unreasonable. And Andy and I both have thoughts and feelings about how do we give consequences when a client behaves badly? Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast.
0: And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie, dirt off your shoulder goss. <laughs> How's it going, Andy Rourke? Go and brush your shoulders off. It's good. It's good. Um, Yeah, you know what I mean? Making it. Uh, making it. I, you know, I um had an immediate failure this morning. We were podcasting first thing in the morning, and I got up, and I got, I've been inspired to uh, try to, try to, trying to give Skipper Rourke a better place to live. I don't know why. I'm like, I <laughs> feel like I'm going to, I just feel like I need to make Skipper Rook's life better. And so I have, I got a new food puzzle for him. Okay. And this morning I was like, you know how you jump out of bed and like you're excited about a stupid little thing in your day? If you're not, you should be. Like that you should you should <laughs> get out of bed and look forward to something. It, it can be it can be a tiny little thing. Anyway, I got skipper new food puzzle and I'm like, today's the day. And so I took <laughs> his food and I put it in this food puzzle and I put it on the floor. And Stephanie, he looked at me like, what why did you lock my food away? <laughs> And like, I, he just he just he just looked at it and he looked at me like, dude, why did you do that? And I've been trying to coax him into getting the food out. And he just looks at me like, don't understand why you're doing this to me.
1: Why are you torturing me, dad? <laughs> oh, I know.
0: Yeah. It'd be like if someone took me to Outback steakhouse and put my Alice Springs chicken in a uh. lockbox and just, just sat there to watch me look at this lockbox like that's. That's the experience Skipper had this morning.
1: Oh, poor Skipper! Oh, I know. <laughs> he has such a rough life. It's, like, it's a, you try to you
0: try to help somebody out, and they're like, "Why did you just
1: make my world harder, and darker?" I love how you're like, "I'm trying to make Skipper's life better," but he let's let's be real. That dog has a very very good life. He is a good. He does have a
0: good. He does have a good life. He does have a good life. Oh. Yeah. Man. Is,
1: that that was the worst
0: thing that happened to him And as long as he can remember. Uh <laughs> that that was the worst. someone put that's his gonna, food in a box and told him to do some work for it. <laughs> that's how good his life is. All right. That's how, how was uh, what's up with you? How have you been?
1: Uh it, it's, it is busy over here, man. It is I am oh, I yeah. am protesting the fact that it is um starting to show signs that fall is here. Uh, fall is my favorite season, and I love it, but yeah. I am not ready to let go of the sunshine in Washington. We have yeah. just had gorgeous, gorgeous weather, and uh, rain is coming, which makes me sad. But then we're predicted to have some more sunshine. So I am I am happy, and I'm just trying to hold on to every bit of it until it gets uh, rainy and overcast and everything. Uh, it is beautiful. Uh, that's, yeah. It is my favorite time of year, but I have, man, this year... It's funny when we moved here everybody was like talking about seasonal affective disorder and how overcast it is in the Pacific Northwest and um and I I love the rain. I hate the mm-hmm. heat. I like a tropical beach is like my worst vacation nightmare because really? I, I turn scarlet red in 2 seconds of sunlight. <laughs> I I have to wear long sleeves and long pants. Uh like I am I am that that kid. Uh and I hate the heat uh and the humidity is so I was like, yes, let's let's go to where it rains more than anywhere else in the continental Pacific or the continental United States. And so I was really excited to move here. Uh, And the first few years, it was great. And I will say this last year was was really I really noticed how much the weather impacted my emotions and mm. the and the mood. And so I started trying all of the like holistic things. And after this last year was just really, really rough. And I decided that I'm okay with the fact that I I might need some better living through chemistry this year because yeah. winter is hard here. It is gray and it is dark and it is the rain is beautiful. And there's nothing I love more than coming over the bridge and seeing the mountains that are snow-capped in the distance and the mist, yeah. like wandering through the trees. It's gorgeous. But days after day after day of that is is tiring. And so I am holding on to every bit of the sunlight. Yeah, <laughs> right that's it up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> definitely. You know, it's funny how we come across things like that. You know, I, I always struggled uh, in the summer times uh, of oh. just getting like, just getting down and, and, and really just, yeah, kind of, kind of feeling crappy and stuff in the summertime And, and for a long time, you know, I'd say something to my general practice doctor or something. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, like I generally feel pretty depressed, like in the, in the summers, uh-huh. like that stuff would happen. And, um, and she was like, that's not how, that's not how this works. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure it's seasonal and it's in the summertime. And she's like, no one, that's not a thing, Andy. And I, and so anyway, come come after a couple of years, I th- what I came to sort of find out was that for me, I think I, I definitely struggle sometimes with feeling good about what I'm doing and, and where I'm going and things like that. In the summers, I'm convinced it's because of a lack of structure. You know yeah. what I mean? For me in sure. the summers, because the kids are out of school and everybody's like traveling and vacationing and stuff yeah. and, and conferences are shutting down and I'm not hustling right. uh, like I usually do. And right. it's just, it's funny as I've as I've committed myself to adding more structure into my summers, like... I, you know, that that has fallen by the wayside and kind of into the rear view. But it, I just say that as like, man, it's just seasons are real for mm-hmm. a variety of different reasons. And I, and I think that like not taking a moment to just be honest with yourself about like, hey, this is a thing that I deal with. Like, yeah. that's, that's a mistake. You know, it's yeah. kind of our... If you're surprised by something again and again, at some point, it's not a surprise. It's kind of yeah. the same thing with you. If like every winter you roll into this time and you yeah. go, man, I really feel crappy for X amount of time. Um, that's a. At some point, it's not a surprise. That's a choice that you make right. to continue doing that.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was me. I was like I'm going to I'm going to just see if this is in you know if this is in my head or if this is a real thing. And so last year was my was my year of trying it and it was it was a really it was a really hard winter for me and I said, "You know what? I am I am okay with better living through chemistry this yes. year. So we'll we'll see how that goes." Mm-hmm. Uh and uh but yeah, it's uh the seasons are changing. I heard fall is maybe coming to Greenville. I heard you guys are starting to cool off all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's uh, the the leaves are just starting to change right yeah. now. So it's it's That's awesome. Pretty it's pretty darn beautiful here. And it's I, I got up this morning and it was, you know, 60, 62 degrees when yep. I walked skipper and uh just you know beautiful and cool. I got my sweatshirt on for the first time in months and nice. yeah. Nice, nice. It's good. Let's get Let's get into this.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. So we have a question from the mailbag. Uh, y'all have been blowing that up, and I have a nice backlog for us to, to work through. So if you are listening and you're like, "Gosh, are they ever going to get to my episode?" We are. We are working our way. Going as fast as we can. Big list. Um, but we got a great letter from a veterinarian today, and and I love this one. It is about consequences for clients, uh, especially when clients are being very naughty. Uh, yeah. It is. It is a vet who has been out of. school for a while and is in working in a companion animal practice and they are a corporate practice and they feel like they are hitting a wall with how to meet the needs of the teams when it comes to client behavior correction. And so yeah. they are feeling like there is not a lot of structure and there's not accountability with clients. And so they gave us some examples of things that are happening. Like they had a client who ran out of a med for their pet and it happens to be a controlled substance. And so they called in when the doctor who had seen that pet wasn't there and um the client wanted the team to call in a script and the team was like we we can't do that we actually need a written script um and we don't have a patient or we don't have a doctor here who has seen your pet so one of the other doctors will have to you know verify the chart and make sure that we can prescribe it because it requires them you know putting their dea license on a handwritten script and then you're going to mm. have to come get it and take it to the pharmacy because we legally were not allowed to call it in. And the client lost their mind on the CSRs and was yelling at them. And then they went ahead and filled the script for the client anyways. And then the client never showed up to pick up the script after yelling at the front desk and screaming at people yeah. on the phone. Um, and this doctor was like, look, how am I supposed to deal with this as, as an associate vet who isn't even this patient's doctor?" Like. Would I should? Am I unrealistic for expecting that somebody should deal with this bad client behavior? Is it crazy to think that a client should be called to discuss it? Um, especially because they not only made the front desk cry, but then they never even showed up. And so they wasted our time, really the whole team's time. And so, uh, this is a doctor who said (laughs) from a doctor who's being made to feel like these problems are trivial and they are just wondering, like, what. What expectations should I have? What should be the next steps when we have clients who who act like this? Should there be some consequences? And at what point is the management team of the hospital held accountable for dealing with and communicating with clients when it comes to their bad behavior?
0: Yeah, I think this is a great question I, Me and too I think I think a lot of us really wrestle with this. You know well, let's start with uh, let's start with some headspace, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a shades of gray question, and I just, just want to say that. If you came yeah. to this podcast uh <laughs> expecting us to pull out the flaming raging sword of justice and be like, no, don't <laughs> pet owners need to just deal with it, or how dare you <laughs> not do what the pet owner <laughs> wants? Like, neither of those two things is going to happen, uh, and I think, <laughs> think that's important. I think that that's the frustration is people want to know pet owners, they need to be held accountable for making me feel bad, Yes, or... Um, I just need to suck it up and the client's always right. And like, neither of those things are, right. are remotely, are remotely correct. Yeah, let's start, let's start with some validation on the medical side. Cause gosh, we've, we've all been there. Oh yeah. Um, I, we work really hard. And having yes. people jerk us around and be mean to us or say nasty things or make us do a bunch of crap and then not even show up and pick it up. Man, that's wildly frustrating. You know what I mean? Like, I am super yes. busy. And now I'm on the phone and I'm pulling the records and I'm reviewing some other doctor's, you know, Notes. work and what yep. they did and trying to decide am I going to write this script and that's the quality of life of this pet and I don't want this pet to suffer. And at the same time, I do not have time to to see another pet today. And, you know, and, and going through this this emotional work and this mental work and taking this time to do this and then have them not even show up to pick the thing up. And they made the person at the front desk cry. That doesn't seem right. And that doesn't seem fair. And that like, I fully understand uh, being angry about that. And I also understand being angry about that and then saying something to management and they don't do anything and feeling like my, my, my needs and my uh, thoughts are being trivialized. And so I just want to really validate those feelings and say, I think we all have those feelings. And um, that is not remotely... um, unjustified, I guess, to feel that way. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like it is, it is something that whether it's this specific, case, like this happens a lot, right? So that I think a lot of us can, um, can recognize our own clinics in the prescription issue, because this is a challenge for every, every clinic, but there's, there's a bunch of different scenarios um, where it feels like, oh, I totally, I totally get this. And it is wildly frustrating and it yeah. is uh definitely it is definitely a case where you just want to to go yeah. postal sometimes because because you because you're frustrated you're frustrated your team is frustrated and it is one of those one of those circumstances where i think validating the frustration is really really important yeah. and then i think for me having come from the front desk and come from the client service world the, the next piece of headspace for me in situations like this is I always ask myself to step back for a second and put myself yeah. in the client's shoes. Because yeah. the reality is, especially in a case like this, if it's a controlled substance, there's probably something going on with the pet, or there could be something going on with the client. And let's be real, that that often when we're dealing with um, controlled substance requests in particular, there are always questions that we're asking ourselves about, you know, is is this a situation where the pet actually needs this this medication and the client is upset because maybe they're end of life and they're just trying to make them comfortable. I, I try and ask myself all of those questions and I try and ask myself the questions of like, is there something going on in this client's life? Like, are yeah. they trying to leave to go out of town and they just want to leave the pet sitter with the meds that the pet needs? Like there's a million different reasons if I really ask myself to step back that I could hallucinate why a client is acting maybe not their best behavior-wise. And so for me, the second piece of headspace, it really comes to, can I put myself in the client's shoes? Because that leads us always to where we want to be when we have hard conversations, which we'll get to when we get to action steps, but it is in that safe headspace where we can stand next to them or I can pick up the phone without my hands shaking because I'm not so angry. You know, I've been that manager where I look at the charts and I read the interactions with the team and I'm just pissed. I'm like, why are you screaming at my front desk team? And I pick up the phone and call that client and recognize that like my hands are shaking because I'm so angry and I just make myself put the phone down and take it (laughs) because you you have to be in a good headspace to have those kind of conversations.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. The other side of it for me is empathy, and so I, I got a story yeah. I, I want to tell uh, on on this, uh, just because it happened recently. And so um, I uh, so, and you know this, Stephanie, but I, a month ago, my my wife found a little lump in her armpit. Um, it was this tiny little BB-sized lump. And uh, jump ahead ten days from that, and uh, we had worked it up and gotten CT and, and biopsies and stuff and and wanted to know what this what this thing was. And so Stephanie had flown into town and Ron Sosa was there and we were doing strategic planning stuff for Uncharted. And we were uh, at the West End in the boardroom and we were working on strategic planning and my wife had just gotten results, which I we didn't know were coming. Right. And so she had pulled over uh, she'd been driving. So she just came on to the what to the West End where we were working and she came and she got me and she told me. Uh, that the results had come back, and she has uh, invasive carcinoma, uh, which is not which is not good. Right. Uh, not in the grand scheme of good and bad, not, right. not, <laughs> not good. Not the worst, right. right? Of the sucky things, it's a pretty good sucky thing. Like, right. Of the sucky things, it's a pretty good sucky thing. Yes. Um, man, uh, but she she came and got me and and told me out in the hallway and we talked for a while and after a while it was you know she it was time to go on with our lives. Right. That's right? kind of a funny thing about cancer It's like not a whole lot you can do. You right. just it's it's waiting and making decisions and then waiting and you know, and it's just it's kind of the the uncertainty is really pretty terrible. Anyway, um I came back to the room and I said, Guys, I need to I need to take a break. Uh and I and I went for a walk. And so my wife went went back to work and, and I went for a walk. And so I'm walking through downtown Greenville and I go to this coffee shop because it was there and I was sort of like, you know, I just I, right. I was looking for something to make me feel yep. better. And so I walk up to the desk. And I and I and the guy behind the counter looks at me and he says, hey, buddy, how's your day going? Yeah, Like that. Yeah. And my thought was, I just learned that my wife has cancer. Right. And I'm not sure how I'm going to tell my kids. Right. How was your day? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that was what I thought. Yeah. And I, of course, I didn't say that. I, I think I just flat out said, I'm good. Which was yes. not true. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm good. And then he, you know, and then he went ahead and he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're we're just making coffee right now. It's gonna be a couple minutes." And I right. said, "Okay," and I waited and I got my coffee. And I just, but I thought about that in all seriousness. I thought about that of like how surreal that moment was sure. of this guy saying, "How's your day?" Yeah, and me going, 10 minutes ago, I got news that absolutely rocked my world." Right. How are you? Um, and I I thought about that a lot since that time. Because I wasn't mean to that guy. No. But yeah. I, but I was, boy, he, and he had no idea. Right. No idea. Right. And, and I just asked myself, how many times have I talked to someone who's just had their world rocked? Right. And I had no idea. Yeah. I said, "How you doing?" And they said, "Fine," and that was all. And I just obliviously went on, not knowing this person was was dealing with something that was enormous for them. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I, but I think about that, and it was just this massive wake up call for me. It's like, man, you have no idea what people are dealing with, and it's just for me that that's just a, a reminder of empathy. Um, and I, I think that you can hold two thoughts in your head at the same time. You can be frustrated that you got jerked around and you had to spend your time and this person was mean and nasty. and They should have been mean and nasty. That's not OK. That's not that's not acceptable. And at the same time, perhaps they're really, really struggling with things that have nothing to do with us. And it doesn't make it OK, but it does at least make it understandable. Yeah. And and a lot of people say, well, you know, but Andy how many people are having this terrible thing and i go i don't know how many people do you talk to in a day right uh, you know like <laughs> seriously like i think that's a lot of it is we talk to a lot of people who are fine and the ones who are not fine really stand out and so i go Well, right. you play the odds there is a chance that we talk to people who are having bad stuff in their lives like real bad stuff and 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 those numbers might even match up the other thing i was thinking about is this you know if somebody comes to you and they say oh man I got this terrible news. Uh, you know, my, my my mom is really sick and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm sorry. You would say, hey, I, I understand. You know, it's no, no problem. I, I get it. I, I understand that. But what if the person comes to you and says, I have 15 different things that are all a bit stressful and they've compounded and now I'm really struggling. Right. I don't think that we think as much about that. And I don't you know what I mean? I don't know that we that we see that the same way as having one big scary thing. But I think right. a lot of us would say, boy, if you have, you know, a lot of us have had 15 kind of small things right. that are all of us up. and we struggle. Yeah. And so so there's that empathy part to it on the other side, which is to go, you know, we don't always get to deal with people in their best days. And no, they should be strong enough to not take it out on people who aren't. Uh, who aren't responsible for what they're dealing with have nothing to do with it. Right. But but at the same time, you know, most of us struggle. I um, the day after the day after I went to the coffee shop, I went out to dinner with uh, with Ron Sosa, and uh, we went to this restaurant. It's one of my favorite restaurants, and it's kind of had a black mark on it. For years, for me, because before the pandemic, I was uh, I was struggling uh, with a, a couple things at work and, and stuff like that. And we went to we went to dinner at this place. And I am not mean to servers, and I am you know I am I just I'm not, and I'm not mean to people in general. That's not who I am. But on this particular day, I was hangry, and I think I was tired. And I had some other <laughs> stuff going on, and I went to dinner, and my family was there, and the server was there, and he was running way behind. Sure. And finally, he shows up, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm late." And I said something kind of crappy, like, "Well, it's about time, man." And the table got really quiet. And Part of it was because it was a crappy thing to say. And other part is because I don't say those things. Like right. I am not the guy right. who gives the waiter a hard time. And I think my pa- I think my family was like, "Whoa, what is right. this?" And um and I said, and I will tell you, I felt bad about that for years. Sure. For years, I was like, I remember when I said that, and I remember the table got quiet, and I remember feeling crappy afterwards. Like, why did I say that? And so anyway. Uh, the day after I've gone to the coffee shop, we go, we go back to this restaurant and that waiter is oh, waiting on our table. I it. recognized him immediately. <laughs> I was like, that's the guy. And then as the, as the, as the meal went on at one point, I got up and I caught him uh, off by the kitchen. And I said, yeah. Hey, have you been working here a long time? And he said, Oh man, like four years. And I said, <laughs> you don't remember me. But a couple of years ago, you waited on the table and I said something really shitty to you. And I just want to tell you, I man, I was, I was had nothing to do with you. I, I I felt really bad about it ever ever since then. I think back and I'm like, I regret that I did that. Sure. And he he laughed and he said, "Oh man," he said, "You don't have to say that." He said, he said, everybody has their moments, and that's what he said. Yeah. And I just thought about that. I'm like, everybody has their moments. And so anyway, so I put that down again as saying, you know, I am someone. I cannot say that I'm someone who has never been an ass, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or said something mean. And that's not who I am. Yeah. And that's so it's so rare that I remembered it and it bothered me. Yeah. Like to the point that I remember the guy, you know, it was post pandemic, you know, when I was him. So it's been two, it's been two to three years since this right. thing happened. And I still remember that guy. And like, that's how rare it is for me to act that way. But man, it really bothered me. And he just said, man, everybody has their moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I, I know it's a long way to go, but I think this is important. It's just an important concept. I think a lot about as I sort of deal with you know with my wife having cancer and stuff as I go yeah. yeah you everybody's I've said for a long time everybody fights about it we don't know anything about and I go no nah, yeah that's uh that's true and I just just want to make it clear so anyway I, was, I don't mean to, to to overplay that or anything but no, it's just something I've been thinking a lot about recently and I go yeah I get it um and I have been on both sides of this and it is frustrating but I just I think that best headspace is to say Two things can be true at the same time. You can be wildly frustrated that your time is wasted or that someone's not treating you well or that they're behaving in a way that they should not behave. Objectively, they are being a jerk. And you can also hold in your mind the idea that I don't know this person and I don't know what's going on. And it costs me really nothing to assume the best intent that I can possibly assume and try to give grace. And I know that that can be hard to do, but I really think Headspace for me you got to try to hold those two things in your hands at the same time.
1: Now, there are people who are listening to this and who are just like want the flaming raging sort of justice and yeah. are like, there should be two camps. There should be the, you know, we, this is our job and we just deal with it. And there should be the the other opposite, polar opposite side, which is clients are not allowed to behave badly. There should, you know, there, there are always consequences like yeah. screw that, right? And the I think... <laughs> Hold your hold your horses, because when we get yeah. to action steps, I think we're, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about the fact that you can have empathy. I think about this a lot when I think about the the team in this conversation. Yeah. I have most often in the context of team behavior because there you can have empathy and you can ask yourself to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and you can do that the headspace work and it is important because you can do that and still have accountability. And I think your point of you can have two opposite thoughts in your head at the same time, this is a case where that is 100% true because you can absolutely have accountability. And um, when you have accountability solely in the absence of ever having grace for anybody else, it doesn't usually work out so well. (laughs) And so, you know, the the hard and fast line in the sands, like it is, I am a, as a manager, I'm an advocate for having some of those, And I would ask all of you as we like talk about the headspace and we start to talk about action steps, this is one where you have to think about, is this a hard line in the sand or is this one where there should be some shades of gray? And I think that this is true because to your point, you never know what somebody else is dealing with. And so there are some hard and fast lines in the sands of things that I do not tolerate under any circumstances when it comes to client behavior in my practice and yep. I will fire a client no questions asked and there are a lot of things that fall into that shade of gray and so I think the headspace piece is really important because when you're in the moment when you are that person on the other side of, of the coffee shop counter and or when you are this the server on the other side of the table or when you're the front you know you're the CSR sitting at the front desk it is really hard if you're in that seat sometimes to have the objectivity to look at this and say, should I be asking more questions? Is this a shade of gray? does this person require, you know, uh, does this person deserve a second chance? (laughs) Um, And I think, I think what that waiter said to you is so important because everybody does have their moments. We all, we all have bad days, (laughs) right? And so I think if it's, I think it is important to have those lines in the sand. And if it falls into the shades of gray, I think, I think we have to have a a process for dealing with that. We're going to get into that with action steps. But I I love that you, you said that because I think it's really, really important here to help find that. The shades of gray.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and and I'm really glad you said it too because that is that is a key key point we really have to to, to make here before we go into the break is you can have a good positive headspace and also make changes right uh, to protect yourself and you can also say I you know what I. I hear you. I'm assuming the best intent possible. And yes. I'm not going to continue to be treated this right. way. Yep. I, again, So I don't want anyone to think that, Andy, like, that Andy's saying, oh, we have to suck it up because the client might have gotten bad news today. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it helps me to look at this in a more positive way and to not feel so bad that like I was taken advantage of and my time was wasted if I can give some grace to the other person. And just just assume that we don't know what battles other people are fighting. That is true. And at the same time, let's make some changes. Let's set some things up to minimize the number of times these things happen. Because just saying, oh, we're going to give grace and allow people to beat on us and make us feel bad and be nasty again and again and again, that ain't what I am talking about. And we're going to make some changes to make sure that doesn't happen. So how do you feel about taking a break and then coming back and then we'll talk about what we're going to do to release this pressure?
1: Yeah, I think that's great. Hey, friends. There is a workshop coming up that some of you are not going to want to miss. You know, this last weekend was Uncharted Get Shit Done. There was a lot of conversation about workflow challenges in our practice and how a lot of us are struggling with things not working very well. Things feel pretty inefficient. We're all struggling to do more with less, less time, less people, less resources. And um, there was a lot of conversation about how do we get more efficient and effective in our workflows. And so while a lot of you were there with us this weekend, not all of you were. And so I want to give you all an opportunity to join us. Coming up in November, November 30th at 530 Eastern, 230 Pacific, we are off. Offering a two-hour workshop with my dear friend, Sanani Retinayake. Sanani is an RVT, so she is a licensed technician. She is a general badass. Uh, she is a practice management consultant, and she loves talking about workflow. And so Sonani has agreed to come back and lead a workshop that was voted one of our most popular in all of 2021 in Uncharted, and that is the secret sauce to optimizing workflow. This two-hour workshop is here to help you and your team dissect your workflow so that you can get out of the place where everything feels inefficient and ineffective So if you are struggling with efficiency and effectiveness in your practice, head on over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events and sign up for the workshop. We would love to see you there. And now back to the podcast.
0: Okay, so let's get into some action steps here, right? So we've talked about this, we're talking about giving grace, we're talking about balancing uh, our need to be treated with respect and feel like our time is valuable with the fact that we're dealing with human beings. We have no idea what's going on in their life and we want to give grace. what can we actually do here besides suck it up? Which is not the answer that anyone's looking for.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I want to look at the questions, uh, the questions that are frustrated doctor asked, because I think they're really good ones. Um, uh, and to, to kind of walk ourselves through the action steps. And I think, uh, I think we'll get to all of the main things that I think you and I both would be thinking about. How do we solve this? So the first question they asked was how should a DVM expect management to deal with this client? Right. And, And for me, the action part is should is a dangerous word. But where I want us to start here is that you can use you can use transformational vocabulary here. So should is very dangerous because you Mm -hmm. should think a lot of things happen. But that isn't that isn't always reality. Right. Is it is it unrealistic to expect that management would deal with a client who is acting x y and z that's a great question Mm -hmm. would they would they deal with this um because it asks it asks them to think about it not that you're implying that you think that they need to be doing something then different than what they are doing but you're asking them a question of like would we deal with this client behavior and so from an action step perspective it's a great question to ask from a team perspective, right? Like what, Mm -hmm. what would we tolerate? What would we not tolerate? Um, And that's a great place to start figuring out some of those, how do we, how do we treat each other? Um, And how do we expect our clients to treat us? Um, Because I think that there are some things when you start to talk about it as a team and where I'm going with this is a huge part of this for me is you have to have you have to have the discussion so that you can clearly explain your expectations to your team and to your clients and have some, yeah. some policies Andy knows that I love. <laughs> I love policies and protocols and structure because it allows your team to deal with these kind of things and know what the expectation kind of should be. It resolves that four-letter word piece of the should because it it, it is outlined. Like the team knows yeah. how you expect as a manager that they would that they would handle it. So I would start by asking some of those questions about like, would what would we tolerate? What would we not tolerate? You know, can can a client scream at a member of our team? Well that's kind of on my high danger red list, right? Mm-hmm. If a client is literally screaming at my team, that is not something that I really tolerate. However, mm-hmm. I also want to have empathy. And so I want to be able to put myself in the client's shoes. And if I had a client who just found out that that their you know husband or wife or partner had, had cancer and they walked in and they started screaming at my team, I could hallucinate a world where I might give them one more chance. Yeah, And I might say to them, it is absolutely unexpected, uh, unacceptable that you scream at my team. Full sure. stop. Like sure. that is not something that I'm going to tolerate in the future. I completely understand that you are having a really hard day because now you've told me all of these things, and I and yeah. I get it, and I have empathy for you. I need you to understand that in the future. Under no circumstances can I tolerate this behavior, right? Yeah, that is that is giving them that that chance, giving them that grace, and so I think it's, for me it starts with where are those lines in the sand for us? What are the things that we're willing to tolerate? Because that then helps us figure out what are those shades of gray.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And so, so all right, so I want to expand on this because you and I look at these things a, a little bit different way, which is always really healthy. Which is why we're a good team. <laughs> is that you look at it from a policy standpoint, and I think you're I think you're completely right, right? Again, like. We go back to this all the time. If there's a surprise, it happens again and again. At some point, it's not a surprise. It's your business model. Right. And people getting angry is not a surprise for any of us. Right. And like, I wonder if there's shifting social norms going on. Right. We see like you people people at restaurants are are worse than they've ever been. Yes. The videos of people on airplanes for God's yes, sakes. Are awful. What in the world is going on with people? Yeah. But but this seems to be a thing that um that is happening, and so yes. you can't act like oh this this never happens. And so what I would say is. When people get angry, what what are we doing? Right. You know, we, so I, I have an angry client course, which is made for teams to take together and talk about getting on the same page when they're dealing with angry clients. And, yep. and it's over at the drandywork.com site. And um, I the reason I made it as a team training is because we need, there's not a right answer. It's what, let's all get on the same page. And understand what the expectations of our clinic are and how we do these things. And so I really want to make this a discussion based team thing that we would do during during staff training and stuff. And so, so I make that. But what, one of the big things that we talk about is um, angry clients, you never know why they're going to be angry and you never mm-hmm. know what they're going to say. And you can't really prepare for that. But the one thing you can prepare is what are your systems for receiving angry people and dealing with them. Great. And a lot of us just don't have that. We're like, we're just going to wing it. And I go, okay, I <laughs> think to your point, it's time for some protocols, which yeah. is just what happens? Uh, how do we set expectations? Who does this person get uh, talked to? Right. How do we escalate concerns? What right. is the front desk empowered power to deal with? You know, what goes to the doctor versus what goes to the manager? How does that work? And there's not a right answer. It really is who is your personnel and what is your culture and how does your practice work and just figure that stuff out. So, but if you don't have that stuff, I think you just figure it out. The other part of the protocols where I would say this is where this is this is really where where I I tend to immediately go to because it's where my head is 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 the expectations extended to the pet owners and so I am all about signposting and signaling and setting expectations to pet owners. Mm-hmm. I really like patient bills or uh, client uh, bills of rights and responsibilities. Yep, and responsibilities meaning yes. this is how you'll be treated and this is how you're going to treat us and this is what how we work together and if. You you can't abide by this, then then you're not going to be able to be seen here. And I just I think that that's really important. I see more and more of those things uh, going into the hospital. Um, you know that stuff is up in the waiting rooms of you know we expect to be treated with respect, and you know raising your voice is not is not acceptable. And they like there is clear communication uh, about what is acceptable and what is not. You know, we had a um, we had a hospital in Uncharted talking recently because they're a walk-in practice and they just do walk-ins, but now they're splitting. They're doing a wellness section sure. and a emergency urgent care section. And they're both walk-ins, but they're two different doctors. And so they were already having this problem of people coming in and seeing other people who came in after them getting seen before them and right. getting mad. So imagine someone comes in with urgent care and someone else comes in after them for wellness. Well, the wellness doctor is moving faster, or has less going on. And the wellness thing goes straight back. You can imagine the urgent care person getting angry. And right. that's what was happening. And so in the hospital, I had seen in the waiting room these signs that said this waiting room serves multiple services. People may not be seen in the order that they arrive. are brought into the waiting room, yeah. And, but that that sign exists for a reason. It exists right. because there was stress or frustration over that at some point in some way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that type of signposting, or at least just literal signposting, but but that type of signposting of this yeah. is what we expect. This is how we want to be treated with. I think setting those expectations is really important and saying this is what we expect from you and what you can expect from us. And I think that you can hold you can hold clients accountable to those standards when those standards are communicated. Yeah. I think it's much. Harder to say. Hey, you were really mad at my front desk, and I would say I'm, I wasn't mad. And they would say, "Well, you made my front desk person cry," and I would say, "Well, your front desk person is overly sensitive." <laughs> and, and you see exactly how this, you know, how, the, how this would go. And you go, "Okay, this is this is useless." Um, right. What are the standards that we can set and we can communicate um, to? set ourselves up for success so we can have productive conversations, so we can talk about policies, not just how you made me feel and how I interpreted what you said. I yes. think that that is absolute groundwork basics for being able to handle these types of situations.
1: And I'm going to step on a soapbox here for a second. Yeah, do it. Um, do it. From, a, from a manager perspective, and this is where I'm going, in, in addition to policies and protocols, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... S- up on the documentation uh, soapbox for a second, because um, this is where you, the reality is we want to, um, we want to think the best and we want to assume good intent. And as a manager to what you just, my point goes to what you just demonstrated, Andy, which is that I can't argue with a client about what happened if I wasn't there, yeah. right? I can, I can rely on my team's documentation and for years as a manager, That was the only thing I had to go on. Like if it wasn't in the chart, it didn't happen So, you guys for the love of Pete, please write it down so that I can help you and I can back you up. Y'all, we live in an age of technology. If your clinic does not have cameras and if you are not recording your phone calls, you are doing a disservice to your clients and you're doing a disservice to your team because you can't do your job as a manager and help on either side if there's not documentation. And yeah. so there are there are rules and regulations and it is your responsibility as a manager to know what the requirements are in your state, but in this day and age, especially if you have a clinic where you have late night hours or you run skeleton crews, you need to have cameras and you need to have recording yep. on your phone calls because then it becomes a no brainer to be mm-hmm. able to, sh- to, to document along with the client and make them a part of the conversation. Okay, well, I, I listened to the phone call and I would love to share it with you um, so that we can figure out how we're going to resolve this, right? Because what you said happened and what I'm hearing on this tape um, feels like those are two different things. And I want to figure out where the disconnect is, right? You can yeah. make them an active partner in that conversation in a way that you absolutely cannot do if you are not present. And let's be real, I don't know about you all, but as a manager, I cannot be everywhere, <laughs> all the time. But but yeah. to, despite the fact that my kids think I have back eyes and I can see everything that is happening, whether I'm looking at them or not, I can't be in 10 places at once. And yeah. that is that is something that it is. Um, I have talked to a lot of managers and a lot of practice owners who are like, I don't want my team to think I'm spying on them. I don't want my clients to feel like they are, you know, being watched. The reality is like you are doing it to help protect them as much as you're doing it to help protect yourselves. Yeah.
0: I would say the world is changing, like we said before, and this is a wildly litigious society. Yes. You better film it and you better yes. record it. And if your staff goes, you're spying on us, I would say, look around. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're in healthcare. Yes. And um, people yes. do bad things. Yes. And this is for our protectionists to be able to say this. And honestly, if you explain it to teams that way, they get it because they've been yelled at or had people say wildly inappropriate things to them in the exam rooms. I hate it. That's part of our job to some degree is it does happen. Um, And you want to protect yourself against that you want yes. to minimize that we want to make that not go uh, not happen and so for me that type of stuff yeah that's not about spying on the team that's about us just taking care of ourselves and our team i will tell you we had um guys been years we had an incident in the treatment room one time a pet got away from restraint and ended up really hurting itself in in the treatment room again yeah. this has been years and years and years and years and not my current job or anything right. and um boy having film of the treatment room of what happened, it saved our butts because the person was like, What did you do to my pet? Right. And we were like, this is exactly what happened. And we can tell you and we can show you what happened. We can show you. it was the most freak accident sure. thing that ever could have happened. Yeah. And, and you never would have believed it if we didn't have the, the film to say this happened. The other the other thing about this too as far as prep work, I was going to throw this back in. I know you and I've have, have touched all around it, but I just want to say it really, really clearly um, you should have an idea, not an idea. You should have a policy about what constitutes a Abuse versus yes. bad behavior. And yes. I just I, I think we said that. I think we said that, but I just want to make it real clear yes. that we say it um, when I talk about dealing with this. I am not talking about abuse. I am talking about bad behavior, yes. and so I am not talking about um, how to empathize with people who threaten violence, make death threats, make racial slurs, are yes. homophobic, transphobic, whatever. Yes. Whatever your things are, whatever your lines are. That's not a, let's see how it goes. Let's talk to the person. Yeah. You, it is totally yeah. fine to say, no, this constitutes abuse and it is immediate termination. And you, you should know what those things are and everybody should know what those things are. Um, but but anyway, I, I just I just want to be real clear about that. It's like when we're talking about shades of gray. Don't think that we're talking about worst case behaviors. That's not shades of gray. That's abuse and that's not acceptable. Yes,
1: and the last piece on my technology soapbox was um, that I I heard, uh, this is not something I have done in my clinic, but when I heard this, I thought this was totally genius. So if you are uh, monitoring and recording your client calls, there is uh, something that I have seen more and more clinics start to do, which I just think is brilliant, uh, which is have a voicemail box set up to support what your abuse policies are. So as a CSR, I've been there where I've had the client who is acting crazy and is crossing the lines, where I have still had to try and maintain professionalism and, you know, say, Sir, I need you to calm down. I can't talk to you if you're speaking to me like that, you know, and try and in the moment navigate those waters and uh, there are clinics that have a voicemail box set up so that when a client crosses that line, if you're being, if you're being um sw- sworn, you know, somebody swearing at you, if they're shouting racial slurs, whatever, where the CSRs can hit the button and send the client to the voicemail that then picks up and says, you know, that you've reached our zero tolerance line. And for the safety and well-being of our team, our animal hospital has a zero tolerance policy for these things. This phone call will be reviewed by a member of our management team, uh, you know, before we can continue services, the CSR has a way to navigate out of that. And then the client knows this is what the follow up is going to be, <laughs> you know, because in that moment, like the adrenaline rush gets going. And I've been the CSR that feels really empowered to have those conversations. And still I'm like shaking and I'm just trying not to cry. And I'm like, I need you to calm down. Right. And I just thought that that was so brilliant. And I was like, as a manager, how, how great would I feel? Like I would have no problem taking those voicemails um, <laughs> and being able to look at the caller ID and reviewing the call and reaching out to that client and saying, I've reviewed the tape and this, this cross our zero tolerance line. Um, where would you like your records forwarded? Right, like that is an easy conversation for me to have if I have the ability to review that with my team. So I'm gonna step off the soapbox for a second because we have a bunch more, uh, I think, solutions to talk about. But man, if you are not um, taking care of your team and your clients by by having some surveillance in your practice, you are missing a giant trick.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's that's a great that's a great great point. You know, I also wanna wanna bring this back around to sort of the shades of gray conversation. Uh, I think that people's I, I, can, I can give grace to people having a bad day and having a bad moment. At some point, a pattern is a pattern. And yes. that's not a bad day. That's Correct. your behavior pattern. Correct. And so I, I really think that documenting these types of interactions is really important. Yes. I have a multi a sort of a multi-strike process where you say, if you're unhappy, I get it. If you're unhappy three times this year about different things, I don't think that we're meeting your needs. Yep. And I'm going to recommend that you seek services somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do think that there there should be some patterns and policies for documenting these interactions and, and just, just to let people know kind of what they're walking into, but also just to have a track record so that later on, I can say to this person, hey, listen, I have documentation here that you had an interaction uh, with the front desk. You know, back in January, and then in March, uh, there was also notes here about you being very angry when you called about these things. And now here we are in October, and this is uh, this is a third issue that is really not being resolved very well and that you're very upset about, and we are not agreeing on. I really do think that we've reached a place where you may be better served somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I I love that, and I I am the same. And you're speaking my nerd love language, Andy, because. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with clinics where they're like, but client communication documentation doesn't belong in the medical record. And I look at them and go, are you crazy? (laughs) Like, I don't know how you're running your business. But if in this day and age, if you are not doing something to document your interactions and um, things that happen with your clients, like... I feel sorry for the board lawsuit that's waiting to happen someday because that's just the society that we live in. Yeah, <laughs> and <clears> so <throat> I ha- have a system, have a way, have a have a process, and it has to be cannot be something you make up on the fly, yep. cannot be something that you uh, telephone out to the members of your team. Like this is a huge part of your staff training every member of your team has to understand what are your policies what are your protocols when it comes to client behavior how does it get documented how do you how do you flag it because I'll tell you being the manager looking at a 30 page chart, and trying to look back at 10 years of client communication notes and hope that I might pick out instances in the past where they behaved badly. Because the CSR was telling me, oh, yeah, every time Mr. Smith is here, he yells at the front desk. And then I'm like, okay. And they're like, oh, yeah, we documented it in the chart. But but documented it in the chart means bearing in ten pages of chart notes, and I have no way mm-hmm. to, you know, I'm I'm hoping that I can pick that out of the chart, right? So, so there has to be policies and and protocols that support documenting these things, so that it is really easy, like you said, Andy, to figure out what is what is the pattern. Because if Mr. Smith was here five years ago and had a bad day, and now he's here today, that might be two strikes. Yeah, am I going to fire him because five years apart he had two bad days? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe depends on what's happening today, but probably not. And and this is where the front desk and in particular, because they bear the brunt of the bad client behavior where they struggle because they're like, man, it says in his chart that he, you know, had this incident five years ago and here he is yelling at the front desk again, and you're not going to do anything about it. I can't have the conversation with them to try and teach them the empathy skills that I'm using, but also the judgment skills that I'm using to weigh this conversation. And if you are not having kind of a post-mortem or rounds process for your team to teach them why you're making the calls that you're making when it comes to client behavior, you're missing a trick because I will tell you that my, I learned so much from my team about what upset them as much as they learned from me about why I was making the calls I was making when we sat down and reviewed when a client has been fired, what they have been fired for, and how I reached that conclusion, right? Or if I chose not to fire them, why did I do it? Because I want them all to understand this was the exception that I was made and how did I document it in the chart so that everybody knows (laughs) this was the final line in the sand, this Mm -hmm. is exactly what I said to the client, they know what the the consequences are going to be moving forward, and I am not afraid to let it rip <laughs> moving yeah. forward if they if they cross that line, because there should be some sort of this is again should is a dangerous word, but in, in my in my world I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy. And, and our doctor who wrote in asked, is it wildly unex, uh, uh, unacceptable to expect that a client be called to discuss their their threatening behavior? No, for me, full stop. The answer is no. I think that they should be expected to be called to discuss their behavior. But that may not be the reality in your practice at right. this moment in time. And so that for me is like, is it it should should it be done? For for me, yeah. Heck yeah. Is that the reality in your practice? I don't know. And so this is where right. we have to, we have to step back and the action steps have to start with where are those lines in the sand? How are yeah. we documenting it to your point? What is our multi-strike? System, because if it's always one and done, somebody's always going to be unhappy. Either your team is going to be unhappy, your clients are going to be unhappy, or both.
0: Yeah. Well, so let me expand this a little bit further too, and say the, the benefit of the documentation, the way that we're talking about, and things like that, and having a system for handling these sorts of things. Listen, uh, it's about it's about making your team feel heard. Now, if your management. And you have a doctor that is putting these things forward. And this doctor says, am I wrong to put this stuff forward? The answer is absolutely not. No. Let me tell you what this doctor is probably really worried about, in my experience, is what I see again and again. So there's three parts that suck here. The first part is dealing with an angry person. Sure. And that sucks. The second part is not feeling heard when you turn to your staff and ask for support or ask for them to look at it, or you just want a vent, You just want someone sure. on your side to say, you didn't do anything wrong. You should not have had to deal with this. I'm sorry. Like just feeling heard is a big thing. And then the third thing is that people generally have a fear in my experience that this is going to go on forever. Meaning if you let this person be mean to me and I say something to you and you ignore me, that means that you're going to let people be mean to me forever. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm standing here and I'm looking down the road and people being mean to me without repercussions looks like my destiny until the day that I die. You know, At 98 years old at the front desk, people are going to be mean to me. And from a management thing, you better make people not feel that way. Right. They need to know, one, that Now, every case is going to be different, and you might not call this person, right? I, I don't know. It depends on the specifics and blah, 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 and what your capacity is and things like You might not call them, but you better make this doctor feel heard and feel that their uh, concerns are valid and important. And two, you better make them know that they're, this is not going to be their life and it's not going to be acceptable going forward. And if you yeah. don't do those two things, you're going to lose your doctor yes. and
1: and I'm not convinced that that's undeserved and I'm so glad that you landed there cuz that was really the last thing for me is that that our doctor said uh, they signed it from a doctor who's <laughs> Who's being made to feel that like these problems are trivial? And then their postscript was, if this is the case, do I need to just stop fighting these battles and accept that my time isn't valuable to, to my clients? Is this the nature of the beast for vet med or is it time to leave a non-supportive clinic? And then, so I'm so glad that you stopped there because I can tell you I have as manager it is very very painful lesson to learn. Like, like you talked about the waiter that you felt like you were mean to Andy and how that stuck out to you. Like I vividly to this day, recall a situation early in my management career where I had a team member at the front desk who had interacted with some difficult and very naughty behaving clients said something about it. And because I struggled at that point. And I didn't, I didn't have the conflict management skills that I have now. I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with angry people in the way that I feel confident doing it now. I didn't do anything about it. And I will tell you that I wound up losing that CSR and they are one of the best CSRs that I ever worked with. And that has lived with me from mm. that, from that day. And I still think about it because I, that for me, that was a failure for myself as a, as a manager was that I had somebody who was brave enough to stand up and tell me that this hurt them. And here's why it hurt them. And I did nothing about it. And so I think for me, this doctor was asking the question, like, is it time to to leave the practice? And and th- that's only a question that you can answer, right? That, that is very personal, personal question, and it's funny because this doctor asked in the context of working for a corporate um, practice. Like we have these rules and protocols, and this is how they kind of handle things. And I think this is for me a very personal thing. But I would, I would challenge this doctor to ask yourself, like, how do you feel about it? And if you feel like there, y- you would. If it was your practice, if you could hallucinate it being your practice, would you have different policies and protocols than the ones that are in place now? If your answer to that is yes, then I think you have two choices. You can either just quit and move on, which is totally acceptable choice, or you can say, hey, I feel really strongly about this. I would like some of these things to change and here's why I feel this way. Like this is, I would like us to have stronger policies or I, you know, I am concerned about this and here's why. You could step up and you could advocate for yourself and then change may happen or it may not. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, like each one of us should decide how we feel about that. And if we set those boundaries for ourselves, there's nothing wrong with moving on if it's not if it's not what you need, right? Just like we want to set policies and protocols to say to our clients, like, this is how, these are our lines in the sand. This is what is unacceptable behavior for you towards us and what you can expect from us towards you. We should have those kind of boundaries for ourselves and our jobs.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the last part of this for me is is some level of acceptance, meaning at some level, we all have to accept a certain amount of this. And I think that that's important.
1: Absolutely. we're in a customer people, service job, whether we like it or not. <laughs> that's exactly right. We uh, that that's exactly it. And like I hate to
0: say it, and I don't yes. don't I'm gonna be saying this the wrong way, but we are a this is a customer service job, and we yes. are gonna deal with people. Yes. And I just came to accept a long time ago. And I had a mentor who kind of helped me realize this. It's like at some point you're gonna help people and not get paid. Yes. Um, because it's because it's the morally right thing to do and you want to help them. And there are gonna be people who are gonna stiff you on the bill. Yes. They are going to uh have a payment plan and just not do it. They are going to just tell you after you've done the work that oh I don't have the money for this. Yes. And like yes. <laughs> and you can you can boil inside over that or you can, you can set policies and protocols to minimize the number of times that that happens. Yep. And then you can just accept that what is left is the cost of doing business, Yep. which means you need to structure your day to allow people to waste a little bit of your time because they're going to. Yep. And if you don't set yourself up to allow some of your time to be wasted during the day, if you're like every moment of my day has to be used in a productive way, I would say you have made a schedule that is going to fail you and burn you out. Um, there's a quote from Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's investment partner. He says something like, a business that can't stand a little mismanagement is no business at all. And I always like that, right? And I would say a veterinarian that can't stand to have a little bit of their time wasted is a burned out veterinarian. And yeah. I think that that's, that's true. That's not a criticism this vet. is just, no. honestly, this is just what it means to be in our profession. And so set your protocols bill appropriately for your time knowing that people are going to call you and yes. that, you know, if your protocol is our doctors take phone calls and answer questions, you better set your prices so that you can keep the lights on while your doctors are answering phones and not working exam rooms. And yes. I would say that's that's just part of accepting what the business is yes. and setting yourself up so that you everything keeps going while people behave like people because they're not <laughs> going to stop doing that. Yes. And so, Set your expectations it. that way. I would say, you know, at some point, we, we we have got to as a profession, and this is something I think we really needs to be injected into the wellness conversation. Uh, and a lot of people don't like to hear it this way, but we got to stop taking things so personally. And I, and again, I, I am a sinner preaching the sermon and that like when people get mad at me as a doctor, I can take that as a reflection on my self-worth, you know, like I take, because I identify that way. I tell you, I was a real pain for me in my thirties and in my forties, I said, this is just a job. I decided (laughs) I I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love being a vet. I love working in vet medicine. It is not who I am. It is my job. And when people come in and they get angry, it's my job to deal with them. And that mental distinction for me, it has helped a lot of not tying myself up so much with, with uh the work that gets done and also recognizing that I'm not gonna make people happy. And some people are just gonna choose to be unhappy and have nothing to do with me. I've gotten a lot better later in my life of saying I can't make everybody happy. And some people are not going to be happy. Yeah. I'm gonna deal with them, but I am not gonna internalize this and I'm not going to uh I'm not gonna take it personally. I am going to find pleasure in just doing the work and going on. I am going to enjoy, you know, looking at the patients, making the plans, watching patients get better, talking to people about their animals and what they need to do and making recommendations and puzzling out diagnoses. And I am going to enjoy that work. And that's where I'm going to find my pleasure, not in people being happy when they leave, because that's outside of my power. And so I guess that's the last part for me is some level of acceptance of this is a customer service business uh, and it's my job. And so I'm going to know that some, some people are going to waste my time and that's just the thing. And I'm going to try not to get too upset about it because I don't think there's a way around it dealing with other human beings.
1: Yes, I love it. <sighs> cool. This feels like cool. a
0: good place to end. Yeah, no, I think. I think I'm good with that. I hope uh, I hope that was helpful. Um, yeah, I hope that was helpful. It's uh, you know we're definitely in shades of gray. Those are the that's the I think it's a good mixture of some action steps and then also some some philosophy and that's. That's where I like to leave an episode. That makes me feel really good.
1: <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a fantastic week. See you, everybody. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite to ask. Actually, two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.